Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you again for joining us today. And I have one of the neatest people that I know on the Intentional Encourager podcast with me today. Now, the persona is that Canadians are are just warm, wonderful people. And that's true. But this guy that I am bringing in today is just, he's an incredible individual. He is the author of the book, Perpetual Hunger. You will see it here as you watch it on video. And also the book, Unlocking Yes. And yes, I have both of them. And yes, he signed them. And his newest book, The Bonus Round, is coming out very, very soon. But what a treat to have coach, trainer, sales guru, Patrick Tenney with me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Pat, I am so glad that you're here. I have been wanting to have this conversation with you for a good while. Thank you for carving out the time to do it, my friend. Oh, listen, Brian, uh, I can't thank you enough. And um, I just uh, pray for all of your uh, friends in West Virginia. And um, I, you know, I hope this, uh, this challenge we're going through with the COVID uh, um, does not do what it has done in other places around the world to your friends, family, your state. And, um, and um, you know, I just hope we can all get back together again soon and and treat each other as brothers and sisters the way it should be and must be. There is no question about that, Pat, because again, we, we are, you and I are, are, are people, people. We love being around people. We love interacting with people. We enjoy just having the presence of people. When you think about this time and, 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 I, I, I shudder and, I, and I've refused to use the word unprecedented because as a student of the scripture, the scriptures tell us that there's nothing new under the sun, and I believe that. But what one word comes to mind for you in these times as you think back to the last three or four months? What's the one word that immediately jumps to mind to you? Uh, I have become more educated. Uh, it, it's a sentence. I have become more educated. Okay. And I'm learning more about what it is to be um, a man, mm-hmm. what it is I don't know about being a woman, what I don't know about being Asian, mm-hmm. what I don't know about being Afro-American or mm-hmm. Afro-Canadian, what I don't know about being brown. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that it's really important to, to, um, to say that because... I love everybody. I, um, I I care deeply for people, and when I see hardship happening, and you know, when you look at the uh, without getting too um, uh, too too far ahead of ourselves, but you know, when you look at people who don't have money to go and get medical attention, mm-hmm. that break that breaks my heart. Mine too. Mine too. You know, I. Uh, we're, we're all together. We're, we're, all, we're all one under God's eyes. Mm-hmm. That's right. Red and yellow, black and white, we are precious. 
That, yeah, that's exactly right. And Pat, the, the beautiful thing that I love about you is, is that I've seen you treat everyone the same. I, that's what I love about you is your consistency. It doesn't matter eco, economic status. It doesn't matter racial or creed or, or anything. I have watched you treat people the same. Has that always come naturally to you, that consistency in how you treat people? You know, you've asked a really uh, great question, and actually I was thinking about that today. Um, I, I was born in a very small town, and it was largely white. And mm-hmm. I, my dad went bankrupt in a small town, so we had to move to another city so he could get work. And uh, it, it was Hamilton, Ontario, and it's, um, it's like Allentown, you know, it's like Pittsburgh. And it is so racially diverse mm-hmm. that it's just unbelievable. I mean, my, uh, my best friends at, in high school were uh, Ukrainian, Croatian, uh, Greek, Jamaican, uh, uh, Guyanese, and I think I was the only, oh, the other, there was one Scottish guy, and, and I'm, I'm the crazy Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, about as, we were about as diverse as you get. And, yeah. and you know, I, I just grew up in that environment. And... Uh, I can remember after the Second World War, things were very, very tense um, everywhere as um, people from across Europe, around the world, were moving to Canada, the United States. And in kindergarten, my best friend was a German boy. My mm-hmm. three uncles fought in the Second World War. Mm. You can imagine uh, them looking at me saying, how can this little kid become a peacemaker in our family Mm. and the 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 german boy was my he was like my 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 bodyguard nobody laid a hand on pat yep and so i think that's what teaches all of us is to um reach out i i've been talking to a a few of my friends and we have we're, we're talking about all the challenges that we're facing right now uh, the great compassion that we must dig deeper to find. And, and I've said that we would probably be able to solve most of the problems in the world if we all just sit down at each other's kitchen table and eat, eat dinner. 100% true. 100%. Yeah, yeah because you, know, you think about it. When you invite somebody over to your house, you're pulling out your best. I don't care if it's tacos or it's, um, you know, catfish or it's, you know, you're cooking up some, you know, some, some good grits, um, you know, some nice greens. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all, we're all in this together. We're only on earth for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. We must do the best we can do. Mm-hmm. And we must uh, include as many people as we can. You know, one of the things I just I want to get something across because it's really important. No, go ahead. Go people, ahead. Uh, people have asked me from time to time, what's, what's my target market and, uh, for my books? And it's not Canada. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not the United States. It's not the UK. Believe it or not, it's India. Mm-hmm. India has more entrepreneurs per square foot in the world bar none. I believe that. It's the truth. I believe you know, it, yeah. it, it, it's a matter of time to try and, you know, uh, uh, break through and, uh, you know, speak to more people. I actually, uh, I actually had a, uh, an Indian, uh, businessman 
reached out to me and he worked for Adobe and uh, he wanted to um, level up into a manager's position. He reached out to a couple of other authors and I was the only one that sort of uh, uh, got into a sustained conversation with him. Mm -hmm. Here's the click. I, I coached him up into a management position just using LinkedIn message. Wow. Wow. He was thrilled. You can actually go on to Amazon India and read his review of my book. Wow. That is so cool. And, and Pat, what I love about this for the, that you've done during the pandemic is that you have put things out there and you've just said, I'm going to give an hour of my time away for free. And I shared that because to me it's valuable. I said, listen, you, you got to get this. But I also messaged you back and said, listen, I just, I just want to talk to my friend, you know. But, but I think that is so cool that you did that. What, what did you see that prompted you to say, I need to, to take the next step and go a little bit further? Because your time is very valuable. And what you have given to people is very valuable. But what prompted you to take that extra step? Oh, that's a great question. Boy, you're on today. <laughs> I hope, man. Uh, it's the blind squirrel theory in full effect, Pat. <laughs> yeah, occasionally they do find a nut. Yeah, um, yeah you know, I, I just thought, I, I was thinking about all of my sales brothers and sisters who may or may not have jobs in the future. And there's a lot of people right now that are hurting. There's a lot of people right now that are lining up uh, for food. And there's a lot of people right now who are, uh, who, are, who are wrestling with the kind of change that we haven't seen since uh, the Second World War. Mm -hmm. um, that's how much change is going on right now. I think um, it's constructive. Um, but I also think that it's my, it's my duty. It's my duty. It, it, it's my community duty to reach out and say, listen, um, I would normally bill for this and I bill at a handsome rate, um, but it's my time to give. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think uh, giving, first of all, makes my heart uh, uh, a very warm place. Yes, yes. And you know, it, it just gives me an opportunity to talk to people and just say, you're a good person. If you're mm -hmm. in sales, you're working hard. It's a lot, a lot there's, a, there's people out there that, that criticize those in sales for not working hard enough. And I, I just don't see it that way because mm -hmm. I, th I think that people that are in sales right now are probably working harder than ever. Totally agree. I, I, can, I couldn't agree with that statement more. Yeah. So if I can give somebody a leg up, if I can give somebody some ideas about how to level up and how to remove blockages. Yes. Um, it's my way of paying it forward. I, you know, I, I haven't had a lot of mentors, but I write about it in the, um, in the new book, the bonus round. And there's, there's four guys I mentioned in there. And I, I, I tell a couple of funny stories. The, the one funny story I want to share with you is, is that I used to hitchhike back and forth to college from Hamilton to Oakville. And there were days, and that's 20 miles each way. Um, and it was a full-time program and right through Canadian winters. So there were days when I only had enough money for bus fare, to, mm -hmm. you know, to get me downtown and get me up to the edge of the city so I could start to hitchhike on the, on the uh, Queen Elizabeth Highway, which is a big highway. And um, I got into school one day and uh, the, um, 
the gentleman that ran uh, the applied arts department at Sheridan College, uh, he saw me sitting in a reading room at lunch. And uh, his name was Jeff Jarvis. And um, he said, Pat, what are you doing here? I said, oh, I just, you know, just, you know, collecting my thoughts, getting ready for um, afternoon uh, classes. And he says, uh, you, uh, have you eaten today? I said, I had breakfast. He said, no. He said, here's $10, go up to the cafe, get some food. Wow. And I said, I can't take the money. He said, no, do it. He says, you, 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 you paid to get into college. And if you don't eat, he says, you don't, you don't get the full benefit of the classes you're attending. I said, on that basis, I will, but I'll pay you tomorrow. So went and got lunch, scrounged up 10 bucks, went, went into his office the next day. And I said, um, Jeff, here's your money back. And he said, not so fast. I said, what do you mean? You got, you have to take this back. He says, oh, I will over time. And I said, what does that mean? He said, Pat, every time you see somebody who's down on their luck, the way you were that day, you must reach into your pockets and hand them $10. I can tell you that $10 that I accepted has cost me thousands of dollars over my lifetime. And mm -hmm. I shared that story uh, at Jeff Jarvis's eulogy. Mm. And the, the church just, whoa! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'll share a similar story with you. Uh, one time, my, my pastor had asked me, he said, can you come help me sing at a funeral? Can you help me? I, I'll, I'll do the ministering part. You, you sing and play a couple of songs on the piano. I said, yeah, I'd be glad to. So I went with him. We, we went and got some lunch and just, we went and helped that family. Well, the next Sunday he calls me in his office and he said, I, I need to see him in it. It's okay. Come in. And he handed me a hundred dollars. And I said, what's this for? And he said, the family chose to bless us. We, you know, I wanted to give this to you. And I said, I, I, I didn't do it for that. I said, I, I'm, I'm okay. And he took the money out of my hand. He said, okay. So what'd you do that for? He said, don't ever turn down a blessing. Oh. When it comes to you, don't ever turn down a blessing. Yeah. It, you know what? Wow. Is that powerful? A power. And I told my son that because. You know, we, we given him, you know, what while he is doing classwork and things like that, we're paying him to do some things around the house. Mm -hmm. He's 19, but but we told him, look, your job is school. You yeah. you let you let mom and dad do your job is school. Because he has scholarships and, and things yeah. like that. He has to have he has to hit certain academic marks. And Pat, I, I, I did some some work for him one day and he said, What's this? And I said, You've been working so hard on your classes. Dad just wanted to do something for you. Yeah, that's so cool. And that, and I said, cool, don't yeah, cool don't, being a dad. yeah, don't ever turn down a, a blessing. Pat, I, I love what you said there because I read that in your book, Perpetual Hunger, about hitchhiking to college. And I, and I want to go to your your background. You have a fascinating background, and you talk about it in in Perpetual Hunger, the things that you did in life that no one else was willing to do. And Pat, that's the reason that I'm doing this podcast is I want to leave the sales expertise to guys like you and I want to go encourage people. And yeah. so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. But you've done things in your life that, that other people haven't done. Take me back as far as you want to go to, to your, you mentioned your dad 
and move into Hamilton, Ontario. If, if you don't mind, tell kind of tell folks the, 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 the things in your life that kind of brought you to this point where you are. Wow. Well, my, my family were, um, we didn't know what the word was at the time, but they were go-givers. And so we had nothing. I mean, we had less than nothing. Um, my family, um, so I, I, I was born into a house with no plumbing. And, uh, <laughs> and you were born we, in West Virginia, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I was born in the suburbs of West Virginia. <laughs> yeah, the suburbs of West Virginia. We call that Ohio. We call that the nice part of West Virginia. We call that Ohio. And I grew up in, hey, Pat, I grew up in Southern Ohio. So the, the, where I live, not yeah. to get off track, but where I live geographically, uh, Southern Ohio is 25 minutes from me. And then uh, Eastern, far northeastern Kentucky is 25 to 30 minutes from me. So we live in, in an area known as the Tri-State. And so I grew yeah. up in the Southern Ohio part. So that's why I can tease about that because I'm, I'm an Ohio kid growing up. So Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I, I get it. Um, yeah, so we, we – my family uh, – so my grandmother – my uncle who served in the second world war, my mom and my dad, my sister, and then um, people that we would bring into our homes um, to help them. There was a French Canadian couple that my dad brought in. We had another guy who had a head injury that they, uh, my parents brought in and everybody would just kind of pool their money. Mm -hmm. um, what this meant was that I didn't have a bedroom for most of my life. My bedroom was the couch, my bedroom was the dining room. Um, it, it was just, it, that, was, that was life as I, as I knew it. And um, uh, I, I, at a very early age, I could feel the pressure of not having money. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really weird thing. I was recalling this with my sister a little while ago. I remember as a little kid uh, sitting in the dining room and I would draw pictures of animals and with my crayons. And there was six units in our apartment building. And I was, I think I was three or four. And I would go knock on the door and I'd hold the picture up with, and I'd turn around and it would say two cents on the back. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to turn down a little kid? You a, were selling from an early age, my friend. <laughs> how, how are you going to turn down a kid with a little cat? <laughs> here's, here's the title of your next book. I've got the title of your next book. Yeah. Selling from the Womb. <laughs> you've done it my friend you you know since since the time you were born you have been out selling goodness oh, gracious I, I gotta tell you just just for fun because you and I are are uh, are silly and having a good time yeah I, I had a guy um who everybody knew in the neighborhood that I was a I was a scrounger and in those days scrounging is the new word for entrepreneur I had a wagon. I was, I was thinking going, hoarding, Pat, but yeah, the well, good, hoarding, good, hoarding, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's a good word. I would, yeah. I would, I would walk up to people's front doors, and in the old days when fruit got uh, delivered in baskets. Yep. And I'd say, uh, "Do you have any baskets that you don't need?" And people would look at me, and they would say, uh, well, "What do you say to a little kid like that?" They'd say, "Yeah, I think I got one." Well, I'd end up with my wagon would be just all full of baskets, and I'd go down and I trade them down at the fruit stand for you know two cents a piece. Wow. And, and yeah, so I ended up with a quarter and I was like five. And mm -hmm. if you got a quarter and, and you're five years old, uh, back in the uh, early sixties, you rock. 
Well, you were the Canadian Mark Cuban. I mean, Cuban talks about selling trash bags when he was like 12. Oh, I picked worms. I picked dewworms. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember there was a guy across the road at, at, there was a a steam bath across the road from where I live. And uh, he was sitting out front smoking a cigar and he goes, kid. I said, yes, sir. He said, "Uh, I'm going fishing tomorrow morning. He says, can you get me some dewworms around here? I said, yes, sir. He says, I'll give you a couple of dollars. I said, yes, sir. Uh, I'll be back in about an hour. He says, all right, I'll wait for you. So I went up and got a shoebox <laughs> at, at, at my house, and I filled the shoebox with worms. Wow. And I, I walked up and I handed him, I handed him about four pounds of worms. <laughs> and wow. he stared down at me and he goes, wow, thank you. Um, here's five bucks. <laughs> wow. I did overwhelmed that, him. Did that teach you early on the power of problem solving. Did, do you think that really sharpened your sword as far as that particular skill is concerned? Uh, let me answer this another way. When uh, I was a little boy, I never looked up into the sky, rarely. I was always looking down on the ground. Why? Because if anybody drops money, that's where it's going to be. Yeah. And I find more money in places where people. I remember one day I, I was walking along the street and I happened to stare down into a, a, a grid beside an apartment building. I looked down there and uh, four feet down was a $20 bill. So I ran as quick as I could to get a piece of bubble gum, chewed that thing as hard as I could, found a long stick, jammed that stick down there, and up come the $20. <laughs> That's awesome. That is incredible. I found 20 bucks in a bathroom in DC one night when I was in dinner, but it, I, I keep looking in bathrooms to see if $20 are laying on the ground and <laughs> that, that's been about three years ago, and it's yeah, it just hasn't happened like that. Yeah, you know what? It's it's when I um, I, I uh, was helping my son develop, and uh, we'd go fishing, and I'd say, son, always look down. You're going to see so much. You're going to see all of yeah. the um, the insects, the animals. And one of the coolest days that we ever had um, was that we were uh, fishing way up north. And when you when you say way up north in Canada, believe me, it's up north. And uh, so, you know, in the area were otters and uh, there was, there was all, all kinds of, of, of animals. And what happened was we heard this huge commotion behind us. My son, Sean, was standing beside um, a huge tree that had been hollowed out and there was all kinds of crawdads in the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. And what was happening was there was a family of mink and they were fighting. And when they got it all settled out, uh, the one mink jumped in the other end of the log and came up and stuck his head up and looked up at my son oh wow yeah and and you know how many times do you get to share that with a with a child i thought you were going to say canada up north canada where men are men and it's real cold oh yeah oh <laughs> i gotta tell you i lived in calgary and edmonton and they say it's a dry cold out west the heck with that yeah it was it was and and uh uh, I remember I went out, uh, I tried to get a job with the Calgary Sun in the newspaper business, and um, I sold everything after being the top rep at the Oakville Journal Record, and uh, just drove out west. And when I got there, uh, they didn't have a job. And I said, come on. I mean, I've just driven 2,500 miles. And they said, no, nothing for you right now. I said, okay. So I just thought, i got to go find money. So I went and I rolled uh, oil steel, the big oil pipes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was a yard ape, so I had to stand on top of a pile of pipes that were probably 15 feet tall, 
and these big machines that were called petty bones. Um, they're like about uh, half the, uh, they're about double the size of a, of a transport truck. And Calgary is, is, is Canada's Texas as far as oil is concerned, correct? Correct, yeah, yeah, it is. It, it, when, uh, when the oil market rolls, Calgary rolls. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the home of the Calgary Stampede. I mean, it's just so much fun. If you if you've ever if you've never had a chance to go see the the chuck wagon races uh, live, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, and they have they have the the Calgary Flames of the NHL, and then they have the Calgary Stampeders of the CFL. So yeah, they're it's a big time it's a big time city. Didn't they? I think in '88, what '88 they hosted the Winter Olympics in Calgary. Uh, yeah, might have been around then. Uh, yeah, it was big. Um, in, you know, uh, uh, Calgary is, uh, they're some of the toughest people in the world. And when I, when I mean tough, I don't mean like, um, angry tough. What I mean is, uh, they can scrounge and dig and, and, and hunt and live, which is why my heart goes up to them right now, because the oil business is so bad. Yeah. Um, prices have gone down so much. Oh, they're getting pennies on the dollar per barrel. And 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 for us, with the with the heavy oil moving south, we're making yeah, it's you know, yeah. A, a couple of bucks a barrel. What was the biggest lesson that you learned when in your time out there? Because you spent some time out there, you eventually did get on at the Calgary Sun and and worked there. But what was that? Le what was the biggest lesson that you learned being out there, Pat? That that you brought back east with you when you came back east? Um, that I could think bigger. Um, when I left Oakville, I was doing really well. Like I was making a stupid amounts of money and I kept calling my mother up and saying, mom, you're not going to believe how big my commission check is this month. I mean, mm -hmm. it's crazy, right? When I went up to Calgary, um, I'll give you an example. We, we worked, I worked with some of the most skilled sellers that I've run into in my life out there. And there was no time clock. So you could work 24 hours a day and we just work and party and work. And I didn't have like an assistant or anything like that. You did everything yourself. Hmm. So there was um, uh, a new shopping center opening up. It's called Sunridge Mall. Now the, the Calgary Sun was like the secondary newspaper because it was a tabloid. But uh, I got a hold of the uh, shopping center manager and I got a list of every tenant that was going to come into uh, that shopping center. I produced a 44 page section in the newspaper, almost 100% advertising by myself. Wow. That month, that month, in 1980 or 81, my commission check was over $5,000. Wow. Now think, we're 40 years later. If you figure money doubles every seven to 10 years, what would that be worth today? Probably 30, 35 grand, just doing some quick math. Yeah, yeah or more. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, so it taught me that I could think big and, um, you know, I wanted to, uh, the back page position of the newspaper is always the most prominent one. I owned about three of those a week. Um, I, I just, there was no barriers on, on selling. I, a really funny story for you. So like, I'm not a political guy at all. Okay. I just kind of, you know, I, I look who I think is going to be the best leader. It doesn't matter who the party is and, and, and make my decisions that way. Um, so anyway, there was a, uh, a guy that I met for a lunch. Lunch was big in the old days. Mm -hmm. So there was a guy I met for lunch and, uh, you know, we got talking about doing business and he, he stopped me because, you know, I was a pretty young guy. He says, excuse me, son. I said, uh, yes, sir. He says, before I do business with people, I have to know how they vote. 
Oh I my! I'd never run. I'd, I'd, I'd never run into this before, right? Pat, my dad told me never talk about politics or religion with with yeah, customers. Yeah, stay away from all that, right? Yeah. So I, I thought to myself, what do I do here? So what I did was I paused for a moment, you know, the deep think, and I looked up at him. I said, you know, sir, I, I've never really uh, known a lot about voting. Um, would you would you guide me through that process? You, what do you? How do you think I should vote? I got the sale. That's brilliant. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. 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 Cause I, I had nothing to lose. And everything to gain. And, and, and it, it goes along with you being a lifelong learner. You know, it just, it just fit naturally with, with you just being curious about people and curious about how they think. Yeah. That's the truth, you know, and, um, uh, just finding joy in what you do. You know, I, 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 I work my brains out. I mean, you know, and, it, you know, as a dad and as a, as a parent, you know, you, you, you don't work hard for you. You work hard for your family. Yeah, I wanted my right. son to have, a, to have a much better life than I had, and he, and he did. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, that goes a long way because when you, when you finally do get to uh, an area where you either have a, a, a partner or you have a family, um, you have extra responsibility and you got to yeah. put food on the table and, yeah. uh, you know, you got to, you got to figure out how to scrounge up to, you know, uh, make sure that everybody is, um, getting the most they can get out of life. Yeah. You mentioned the influence of your mom. What do you think your mom would say now that you're releasing your third sales book? Oh what do God. you, what do you think your mom would, how, how would she react? Uh, I, 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 I think it would be just two words. Oh, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, my upbringing was different than a lot of other people. My sister's seven years older than me, mm -hmm. and she got married when she was like 18. So, like, I, you know, it's kind of like a, an only child, if you will. And I, I found school kind of boring. I know that mm -hmm. sounds odd. Um, but you know, after I lost a parent, uh, you know, I started to think about, I was always thinking about how do I make money when I got into high school, I, you know, like I was writing all of my exams and I didn't, you know, I, 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 I didn't have to write finals most of the time. I think I wrote a, a few finals, uh, you know, in grade 12 or something, but, but very few because mm -hmm. I just got, I got recommended. And, um, I can remember my mother going to a parent teacher interview with, um, our, uh, vice principal. Uh, Mr. Wong, and he was only about five foot seven, only weighed about 130 pounds, but he scared, he scared every, every big kid in that school. They were just frightened that they would have to deal with him because he wouldn't back down from anybody. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is in Steeltown. So my mom had, my mom was a very uh, quiet person and she has the interview and she comes home and I, I said, uh, so how did it go, mom? She goes, well, son, um, Mr. Wong likes you. He thinks you're an interesting young man. But uh, quite frankly, he said, um, we don't have anything here at Scott Park Secondary High School for Pat. We don't have anything to offer him. Wow. Wow. And I, I'm thinking to myself, what did I do? <laughs> yeah. What did I do wrong? <laughs> but I guess, I, I guess you know, you know, like I, um, you know, I was a a performer at school, played guitar, you know, played, uh, you know, played some 
you know, some cool music and uh, up on stage in front of like 1,500 people and as a performer yourself, you know, you play piano. Yeah. Um, it, it changes people's perspective. I ran for president of my high school. I didn't win, thank God, because yeah. they would have had me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't need me. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I, I can I can empathize. I, I want to – it's really cool that, that Mr. Wong – shape that influence on you early on because pat in sales a lot of times it's so easy to tell a customer what they want to hear instead of telling them i don't have what you need and good on mr wong to to be so honest and so direct with you and your mom to say we we don't have anything for pat He's yeah. exceeded everything that we have. And I, well, I find that, Pat, I just find that so incredible in today's society because I think people, and I want to tie it to a sales concept. It's almost like today people are so desperate for customers that they'll find something, anything to grasp to hold on to that customer when in reality they don't have anything for them. Well, you know what? You got to watch out. You gotta watch out. Never sell the wrong thing to the wrong customer. Don't do it. Wow. As a matter of fact, I I, I take a, a a lesson and I put it in the new book about this. And you know, uh, I um, I was in the middle of a sale, and all of a sudden my gut went off, and I thought, Pat, what are you doing? You're selling the wrong thing to the wrong person. And it was a vice president, and of a very large retail company. And he happened to also be a friend. So I telegraphed with my uh, 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 disorganized presentation that he shouldn't buy. Thank God he read me well. (laughs) But I, you know, and you might say as a sales manager, you might say, oh, yeah, Mr. Compassion, you know, Mr. Compassion, thanks for losing the sale. No, it wasn't the right time for that person. It just wasn't the right time. It's like people saying, Oh, I can't, I can't accept no's or I, you know, I, I'm afraid of people saying no. I, you know, I don't like rejection. Come on, get over it. Yeah. They're like speed bumps. You know, it, it's just like, it's like you're having a conversation with a friend. Now, sometimes there's big money on the line. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be more focused. You got to do more homework. You got to, you, you have to think like an insider. You have to speak like you have something to offer in that first meeting that, that makes that person say, you know what? This is somebody I think that understands our culture. I used to sell to Walmart head office in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, and I can remember uh, a vice president joining me on a call. And you could just see him sitting there looking at me because I learned to speak retail. Now, when you're talking the largest retailer in the world and you're using inside language, and this guy comes out of the, so the meeting ended, we had everything done we wanted to do. We walked out of the meeting, the guy looks at me and he says, Patty says, you should never do anything else other than this for the rest of your life. And I looked at him and said, come on, you think this is all I got? Not a chance. Yeah. Yeah. And I still think the best is yet to come. Well, and Pat, here's the thing. What I have learned, the greatest trait that I have learned is how to be adaptable, to put myself, and I'll share a quick story with you in the audience that my dad taught me. 
Um, when I transitioned, I had sold food for, for 15 years working in, in the distribution and brokerage side of food service. And, and I know your son's a chef, so you know that world a little bit. Yep. And, and then I went to, I went to then uh, recruiting students for a culinary school, and they had other programs, and I did well there. But when my dad called me and said, I want you to come and help me in the heavy-duty rotating electrics industry. I knew what a starter was. That's about it. Yeah. And my dad said something to me one day. We were riding in the van. We were riding together. He was driving. He looks at me and he says, if I can get this plugged into your head, I'll have something. Because my dad knew that I had everything else that I needed to be successful. I just needed a little bit of knowledge. I just needed that inside language that you talked about. Mm -hmm. And so what I've done in, in the industries that I've moved in and out of is I've learned to speak the inside language and then continue to get proficient. It's like learning a new language, right? I mean, it's like learning, it's like learning Spanish. You get, you get proficient and then you get linguistic where you've mastered the language. And that's what you did with the, the guy from Walmart. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I spoke retail, and it was really important because – Well, you spoke retail well. You, you just didn't drop a couple of, of key terms in there just to make Pat look good. No, You no, spoke no. with understanding and with diction, and you knew where to put the commas in the sentence. My, uh, my territory um, – and so I was uh, a corporate seller, and uh, so I represented 125 newspapers simultaneously across Canada at the top end. And as a retail guy, before we got up to that large scale, I had the largest retail uh, territory in the company uh, at the head office. And it was over $35 million a year. Mm. A large deal for me was $13 million with one signature, mine and the customers. Mm -hmm. And that's back in the 90s. Wow. wow. So when you, when you think about that in today's dollars, <laughs> I mean, it's... it's uh, you know, a deal that size, if, if for whatever reason it doesn't work out, that's 150, uh, you know, important jobs that would yep. be in jeopardy. Now, did I, did I ever think I was going to lose one of those big deals? No, but I'll tell you what, you get overconfident and that's when you get your knees taken out. Yeah. So what would you go back and tell Pat 20 years ago? If you could, if you could go back and, and you saw Pat, Tenny coming out of that deal that he just signed with a customer for $13 million. And you were going to sit down with, with, with that Pat and have a cup of coffee. What would you tell him? Well, I, I think I would say, um, uh, congratulations. It's hard work. It takes months to close those deals, but how you got there was with great relationships within that company. Mm-hmm. And so my advice would have been to work even harder on those relationships within that company. And then always have, so you've got your, you've got your, your star account. Um, you've always got to be looking for new accounts and non-traditional money. And just by nature, that's the way that I thought, but I, I think I probably would have said to myself, try to be more expansive you'd say, well, what does that mean? So I did a lot of product launches with the company. And I did things that other people didn't do. I, I was invited to sit on a pricing strategy committee. I was the only sales rep in the room. They were all presidents and 
vice presidents and, and uh, managers. And so I got to do a lot of things. Um, and so it, it and I, I was, uh, when everybody else was st studying marketing, I was studying production. So I, I'm, I'm a bit of a gearhead. Uh, I'm not a mechanical person, but I wanted to understand how every machine worked in our company. And so I would tear um, things apart that we did and I would repackage them and make them bigger. And uh, one of the last things I did was a, a program called Print, Plan and Distribute. And it was uh, taking our um, inserting equipment, our analytical data, and then um, hiring outside printers to print for us in a very structured format, which was, which was very small, eight and a half by 11 different, uh, uh, different formations of that. And I took it to Marketplace and hired two printers uh, to, to do it. And in some cases, I actually asked them to raise prices, which made them nervous. But mm -hmm. I said, you gotta trust me. My own internal people, um, kind of questioned a couple of things. I said, guys, you got to trust me. And I, I presented it to our sales reps because I was a manager at the time. And um, we had a pretty big team. And a couple of people went out and sold. The first deal the one young lady uh, sold was a six million distribution uh, to Canadian homes in Canada. So at the time, that would have been around uh, 55 or 60% of Canadian homes. Wow. And we delivered it without one complaint. Mm. Uh, that program did a million dollars in the first two quarters unbudgeted. Wow. The markups were amazing. Talk about delivering some nice sales growth, my friend. Well, you, you, again, <laughs> think, think big. And you know, what? Yeah. There, were, there were people pressuring me at the time to, to launch the program earlier than I was ready for. And I just said, not until we're flawless. And we mm. were. Wow. In the last few minutes, I, I've got a couple of the things I, I really want to get to in in in, the, in our time together because your story is so compelling, and that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast. Take me through the biggest obstacle that you overcame in your life. Yeah, uh, wow. It, it 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 was having uh, older people tell me I couldn't do things and telling me I wasn't worthy. And, and this was from a very young age. And I came from a military family. And I never accepted that. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you, um, I went to work for a piano delivery company. I, I lied about my age to get in. I was 15 when I joined. I was delivering um, you know, pianos as light as 350 pounds up to ones that were 800 pounds. Mm -hmm. When I started there, I was the junior. By the time I finished, I was running the teams. I was hiring all my friends from high school to come deliver pianos with me. That's awesome. I was, there were weeks I was working 40 hours a week, going to high school and making as much money as my mother working full time. Wow. Just because you, you just had that determination that said, I, I'll show you. That's exactly it. So, Pat, take me through your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for folks. Because, again, as we started this conversation, you talked about salespeople that were losing their jobs. Um, the, the, the market not being as robust as it needs to be. And, and, and you and I know the world of the number is the number. The number doesn't get adjusted. We have to sell to the number and by any means necessary. But this pandemic has flipped everything on its head financially and every, and, and there are businesses that pivoted and have done phenomenally well. And there's salespeople that have done that. 
But there might be somebody out there listening, Pat, that said, man, I don't know how I've gotten through these last three months. I don't know how I'm going to get through the next – through the rest of this year. What one piece of intentional encouragement, Pat Tenney, do you have for those folks? Be your own best friend. Be your own best friend. Do not talk to yourself negatively. Do not allow other people to talk to you negatively. It's unacceptable. And we are all going to get through this together. You're not alone. We're with you. So powerful. So succinct. I I was, I, I turned the speaker, just a little inside baseball here. I turned the speaker view on. Because I thought, man, Pat's going to go for a couple minutes, and I'm going to. That was so beautiful, though, my friend. That was so beautiful and succinct. Be your own. Because here's the thing: if you don't wake up encouraged, no matter what's going on around you, you are useless to everybody else. Uh, I know it sounds glib, but you are what you think. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and um, there are people that are going to just tell you that you you can't do things in life. And to those people, I say, watch me. You can't stop me. Yep. That has been your motto for 2020, and I love it. I love it. I told you that when you did that. I said, man, what a great motto. Pat, I think that it is an honor to be your friend, and I am grateful for our friendship. Tell the folks where they can find you, get a hold of your resources. When does the new book come out? Tell people when they can get the, the new book. Yeah, um, so you can get me <clears throat> through LinkedIn. I like LinkedIn, and I like, I like Twitter. So uh, Patrick Tinney at, on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, my website is Centroid, C-E-N-T-R-O-I-D marketing.com. And uh, go have a look at it. We just relaunched it. It's, it, it's, it's really cool. And uh, I want people to know inclusion. Um, one of the big images that I use up there is uh, I made sure that my image uh, represented a female market as well. As I was looking to uh, redo the website, it, it dawned on me that there were not enough uh, women in business uh, pictures on iStock. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know what, that's time to change that. Um, and, and the other thing is you can send me a message to the website. There's a, you know, there's, there's a tab there to do it. And, uh, you know, have a, have a look. You know what to do? Read the reviews on Amazon about my books. Just go up. That's the way you get to know uh, whether my content is worthy or not. Well, in my humble opinion, and again, two things, my friend. One, my opinion and a dollar will get you a sweet tea at McDonald's here in West Virginia. And secondly, my initials are BS. So you take it for what it's worth. I highly, highly, highly recommend connecting with this man, getting his resources. I, I love that we didn't even talk about Pat. We and we could have gone two hours. We didn't even talk about the guy that in Michigan you, you called the greatest salesman you've ever met. We'll we'll get back on another podcast, and we'll talk about Jim, the car salesman from Michigan. The greatest sales guy you ever met. I it, it's un listen, go go get perpetual hunger, go get unlocking yes, go get the bonus round, go get with Pat Tinney, connect with him. You will not be sorry. Pat, I am grateful for your friendship. 
and I'm grateful for your time today. Thank you for joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you for your kindness. Keep doing great work, and it's an honor to know you, sir. My thanks, as always, to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through His Word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place, can be an intentional.